that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you that our mutual joy may be complete. While we've looked at this uh, introduction to 1 John, it begins with the apostle as he gives us an account of what he had seen and heard and touched with his own hands. In other words, his personal apostolic experience of the living Christ during his earthly life and of the risen Christ after his resurrection. And that incarnation and resurrection, this one person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, is the heart of the good news message. John has introduced us to the good news message that this one, this one has come from God in order that we might be pardoned, healed, restored, and forgiven. And so it's very important, therefore, that we as a church, we as Christian people, have fellowship with the apostles who gave us this great message. Their deposit of faith has been passed on from generation to generation, and it's our job to preserve and defend it, as well as to proclaim it as they did. That's what he means when he says that you may have fellowship with us. We are an apostolic church. Our faith is built upon the apostles and the prophets and on Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. But you see, uh, he goes further than this. Not only is our fellowship with the apostles, because we believe the truth that they taught, but our fellowship, he says, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the point we're going to dwell on for a few minutes this evening. In his commentary on 1 John, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones refers to this verse and to these words as a kind of holy of holies, he calls it. He's recalling back to our minds the experience of Moses, you remember, on the backside of the desert when he's looking after the sheep, and he's run away from Egypt many years before, and he's lost himself there in the desert when he sees a bush burning but not being consumed. That's the meaning of the, the, the language of this window over here, the burning bush. But the bush wasn't burning. The fire was there, the bush was there, but the bush was not being consumed. And Moses, as you would do, drew near to see this. This was a, an interesting sight. He went forward to, to observe the phenomenon. And as he approaches, a voice from the midst of the fire says to him, put off your shoes from off your feet, for the place whereon you stand is holy ground. Well, Dr. Lloyd-Jones argues that we could say the same of this text. This text is holy ground. Listen to it again. Our fellowship 
our fellowship, yours, mine individually, ours as a congregation, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And Lloyd-Jones says, this is the summum bonum of the Christian life. This is the highest we can imagine. This is the high point of the Christian life. Now, of course, we've read that, and nothing in these words would be of any interest to people in their natural state. When Christian writers read these words, like Lloyd-Jones, and describe it to us as being glorious… Uh, people with, without the new birth would think it grotesque. While I may say that this is the heart of Christianity, that this is the essence of Christian experience in the world, the world itself would be incredulous. This verse, therefore, describes something that is peculiar to Christianity itself. Other religions know nothing of this. Their gods are remote. Their gods are hostile. Their gods are unrelated to the worshipers. Where there is some relationship with God in other religions, with a god, it is done in secret. It's the preserve of the priest or the guru. But here John is speaking to every Christian person. He's speaking to you and me. He's speaking to us boys and girls, women and men alike. He's saying that every believer has access to this fellowship through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, dead, buried, and raised again. He gives us a right and a title to this glorious privilege. Through the work of the Holy Spirit in the new birth, we possess as Christians both the qualification and the power to experience and enjoy the fellowship with the Father and the Son. In fact, the great purpose of God for regenerate human beings and God's great design in salvation is that we might have fellowship with Him. I want, at this point, you to seriously consider whether this is how you view the Christian life. I think many of us are living at the ground floor of Christian experience. We've come in the door And we look at what's on the ground floor here, and we think of Christianity mainly about deriving principles for living from the Bible. That's really what we want to hear when we come to church. We want to hear some principles for living. How do I live my life in the world? How do I live my work life in my home and in my office uh, and whatever? And how does Christian principles apply to work life, relationships, education, science, and so on. And those are good questions to have. And as I said this morning, uh, you have the Ten Commandments. Just do them. Apply them wherever you go, in your home, to your family, to your wife and your children. Uh, uh, That's enough for you to be going on with. I have nothing in addition to the Ten Commandments to tell you about how to live for God in the world. Uh, I would add to the mix perhaps the Beatitudes. Perhaps 1 Corinthians 13 would be a good addition to the mix. But those items are obvious. You can read them for yourself. You don't need me to tell you about them every time I'm in the pulpit, okay? That's the application that you need to take. No, but what I want to, what I want to ask you is this. 
Are ye, are, are you in fellowship with God? Some people overthink Christianity. They think of Christianity as, a, as an activistic religion. Evangelical people do this. The, the evangelical world has been on active service since it began as a kind of parachurch organization, which is all it is. And their idea is activity, action. Uh, a friend of mine who taught at uh, Stirling University, he, he came up with some marks of what evangelicalism is. And one of, one of them is activism. Activism. And through activities, multiplying ministries, Bible studies, practical work, etc., this is the idea of what it means to be living as a Christian. And as an observer to that, I would have to say that the contribution of evangelicalism to the Christian life of men and women is really nothing beyond exhaustion. It just tires you out. That's what it's meant to do, I think, to tire you out. It's the face of Christian history that as the church becomes busier and busier, as the church becomes more of a business, and the busyness often leads to church decline. The programs need cash, so we're always needing to ask for more cash and raise more cash. Christian gifts are being directed away from the core work of the church to these extracurricular activities. Well, then there are those who want to retain the name Christian while dispensing with Christian teaching. That was the whole issue with modernism and liberalism. Let's keep calling ourselves Christians, Christian ministers, but we will deny the deity of Christ, the miracles, the resurrection, and so on. So what defines a Christian? Does my ability to recite what the five points of Calvinism, is that, is that what makes me a good Christian? Well, it will make you a good person, and it will certainly edify you. Or what about the five solas of the Reformation? All of them are good. They're orthodox. But knowing them doesn't mean you know what you need to know about the Christian life. There's so much more. They're they're a little sliver of absolute truth that you must know and you must learn and you must hold to, but they're only a sliver of the whole counsel of God. Look at this matter that we're looking at this evening. The heart of the matter, our fellowship, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. No matter what circumstances or loyalties or doctrine, doctrines we hold, the essence of Christianity is being able to say, my fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I'm not knocking doctrine, by the way. I do a lot of teaching on doctrine. But Lloyd-Jones is right that there have been people in the church who have fought for orthodoxy, who have been staunch defenders of the faith, and who have discovered on their deathbed that they have never known God. Never known God. Known about Him, but never known Him. As the doctor said, 
They've only ever held opinions about him or opinions about theology, some niche doctrines that they have, they, they, they have applied themselves to. But they did not understand that the summum bonum, the highest and ultimate good, is fellowship with God. Now, that word fellowship is an old, an old Saxon word. In German, the word Gemeinschaft echoes the partnership aspect. The word communion is a Latin word, and it's actually one of the best words we could use here at this point, because it's more than just a partnership. Communion means more than to be simply a recipient of God's grace or a partner in His love or simply to enjoy His companionship. Communion means to share in something with someone. There's a mutual sharing and communication going on between the believer and God and God and the believer. The Holy Trinity desires to share with believers, that is, the faithful, the love and joy that the Trinity enjoys and has enjoyed from all eternity. God wants to draw us into that relationship. As glory is the radiance of God's many attributes, Jesus prays, you remember in John 17, that the glory which you gave me, I have given them. It's our destiny to share the glory of Jesus. Now, that does not mean that we become equal with God. Only God can be God. But according to our finite human nature, we are made partakers of His life, His holiness, and His ineffable blessedness we were thinking about this morning. So, for example, you can read in the Bible that where one says in Deuteronomy 32, the Lord's portion is His people. That's what the Lord wants. He wants His people. He wants His people to gather to Him. He wants His people to know Him. The Lord's portion is His people. And that is answered by the believer. The believer affirms, Lamentations 3, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. So, God is our portion. We are God's portion. That's the communion that we're talking about here. Uh, The Lord declares, The saints that are on the earth and the excellent in whom are all my delight, he says. God finds you and I, people of God, his delight. That's why he loves us. He loves us. He loves us first before we ever loved Him. And we respond to that by saying in the, in the language of Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside you. The Lord Himself is ours and we are His. There's this participation in God. Our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Now you say, does this sound a bit like friendship? Well, friendship is a very good gift that God gives to us. 
And so long as we don't look at our friendship with God from the earth up, but remind ourselves this is friendship that comes from heaven down. In other words, we don't confuse the friendship with God like the friendship we have with other human beings. I mean, Jesus said to his disciples, you are my friends if you do what I've commanded you. David could talk about his friendship with God, and he was called a friend of God. In 2 Samuel 22, he says this, God delivered me because he delighted in me. David knew God delighted in him. Do you know God delights in you? Dare you think that? Well, the Bible encourages you to think that. God delights in me. There's, there's no better barrier to sin than knowing, being able to look yourself in the mirror and say, God delights in me. That'll keep me from sin. And the saint can say of God, all my springs, that is all the bubbling springs of life-giving, health-giving water I find in God himself. And real friends delight in each other's company. They're happiest when they're together. In the Song of Songs, uh, the one says, His desire is towards me. Come, my beloved, let's go into the field. And she hurries him up. Make haste, my beloved. Moses spoke to God face to face and expressed to God with great freedom, show me now your way that I may know you. Have you asked God? What have you asked God for? Have you been bold in asking God to make himself known to you? You have a question in your mind. You have something you're wrestling with and struggling with. Do you ever take it to God and say, Oh, Lord, will you show me? Will you reveal this to me? Will you answer me? We're told that sometimes in this context, the Lord takes us into his confidence. Psalm 25, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him and he will show them his covenant. Now, this fellowship we have with God involves then sharing, as said, in the life of God. We have eternal life. We looked at that last time. More than that, uh, God has called us, in the language of Jesus in his high prayer, to glory. Here's how Peter puts it. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 1. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called you to His own glory and excellence. Your destiny, child of God, is to share the glory and excellence of God. Without becoming God, you are to a degree, we can use the language, godded, because we're adopted by God into his family. Or again, in First Peter chapter 1, he has granted us to his pre- very many precious and great promises 
that you may become partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature. What of God's nature am I ever going to experience? The eternal life, of course, is the life of God's timeless eternity. I'm going to have that, share that. I already have it in my soul. When my body dies, my soul will be immediately in the presence of God, in the eternity of God. The divine nature. With the Father and with the Son. Having the fellowship that the Father and the Son with the Spirit have and have had from all eternity. We are destined to share that finally in glory, but even now to have fellowship with God. When we come to the Lord's table, what is God doing at the Lord's table? He's taking a visible, uh, carnal item, the bread and the wine, and He is putting them to our lips, and He is saying to us, we're sitting at the same table here. You're eating and drinking with God. You're a friend of God. When we sit at this table, you're a friend of God. And by the Holy Spirit, we take something that He gives to us. We take something of Him to ourselves. Now, Jesus wasn't playing with words when He said, this is my body, which is for you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is for you. You don't drink blood and you don't eat flesh, but by the Holy Spirit, you commune with Christ. Something of Him is communicated to you through the instrumentality of the bread and the wine. Something real happens here. At the time of the Reformation, there was absolutely no question about the real presence of Christ in the supper. The big issue was, how does it happen? How does it happen? And there was a dispute between the Roman and the Reformed view. The Reformed view being it happens by the work of the Holy Spirit. By the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we feed on Christ in our hearts by faith. The life of God... Paul can write to the Galatians and can say this, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. And knowing God, Jesus, in his, when he's praying his high priestly prayer, talks about us knowing God and having that eternal life that God gives. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent and Paul writes to the Galatians, now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. So, first to know God for yourself, but to find yourself now known by God with all the affections of God's knowledge of you. To understand how much of you He knows, how much of your idiosyncrasies, and the, the way you th thinking and the, your, your ambitions and your goals and your, your dreams that God knows about you. He knows these things about you. The more you 
get close to God, the more comfortable you are in talking to God about the things that are important to you. You've come to know God and, or rather, to be known by God. And so as we have communion with God, He becomes a reality to us. You have to know God before you can have communion with God. And the communion we share at this table, by the way, is a hint of the full communion that we will have when we are present in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. When we have the beatific vision and we see into the very essence of God. When we we see Christ in His resurrected humanity and we are changed into His image. And the more we get to know God, the more we have fellowship with the Father and the Son, the more God does something in us, the more God works in you and in me, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. In other words, it becomes less, tell me some things to do, and more What I want to do are things that please God. And I know that they will please God. I know they'll please God because I know God. I know God. And the more I get to know God, the more I understand and recognize the things that will please God. And I want to do those things. I'm willing to do those things because the Holy Spirit of God has made me willing in the day of His power to do what God wants me to do. And so... In this relationship of knowing the Father and the Son, we become increasingly open to and cognizant of the wondrous things that God has done for us and what He wants to do through us in the days to come. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that as we come to Your table in a moment that we would be conscious that we are in the presence of the Lord Jesus. We're in the presence of God. We're not just looking back. We're actually sharing in your life as your people. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to feed on Christ in our hearts by faith. May his presence, Lord, fill the feast. We pray in his strong name. Amen.